I've been going through the book of Hebrews so far. This is only my third sermon on the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in here for a while. I might take a break here and there, but I re- I'm really enjoying this book. When I when I go through um, a book of the Bible in preaching, um, I, I end up reading it like over and over again. And I don't know if you guys know that when you read like the same book over and over again, um, that really is where like some of the like the what God, uh, you know, living Word of God starts to come alive in you. And so, you know, I, I want to encourage you guys as we go through this book, occasionally read the book of Hebrews here and there. If you have, a, you know, a chance, um, try to read it in one sitting. It's not that long of a book. And I, and when I do, you're able to really catch the heart of what this book is all about. Um, so today we're going to go through a big chunk of Hebrews. We're going to go through Hebrews 1 verse 4. And then we're going to read all the way to the end of verse uh, chapter 2. So we're going to go from Hebrews 1, 4, and then we're going to read all the way to the end of chapter 2. Okay, so if you guys have your Bibles with you, it's not that much, but it's going to seem like a lot. Um, if you guys have your Bibles with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, and I'll start reading. Uh, this is in the English Standard Version, ESV, um, where most of... Our, our sermons kind of are taken from the ESV. So it says, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be in him a father. Be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your, beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are at the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And they, are they not all minister spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression is or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little, little, for a little while lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to, to him, he left nothing outside his control. 
At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection, in some subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist is bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who satisfies and those who are satisfied all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I, the children of God, children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he made this, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Alright, so we did a bit, a bit of, big chunk of reading there from first and second Hebrews. Um, I just want to point out that, you know, what I've been mentioning throughout my sermons is that the book of Hebrews, the author is unknown. We don't know who the author is. Uh, and he's writing this to a group of Jewish Christians that are on the brink of falling away from the faith. You know, they've been persecuted. They're in the midst of great persecution and a lot of them have fallen away from the faith. And he's writing to these Jewish Christians that are on the brink, on the verge, like on, like right on that border of saying like, hey, I'm going to go back to the law. Um, I'm going to go back to, um, you know, Jewish tradition and I'm going to let go of Jesus. Uh, I believe that the persecution, this is just my personal take is that the persecution that is coming to these Christians is not from the Romans, but it's from the Jews. I believe that this is just kind of when I read this, I feel like um, because of the way that uh, the writer is exhorting them um, and they're bringing up all of these Jewish things like from the Old Testament, I believe that the persecution that they're facing is from the Jews. And so uh, he's writing them. Um, to these Christians and one of the main ways that the author lays out this argument is in comparing Jesus to certain aspects of the Old Testament and and here the author starts off with comparing Jesus with angels okay? um, who believes in the, who believes there are angels raise your hand yes <laughs> we all share because it says in the Bible I want to and we, you know we've read almost two chapters of Hebrews today because it, this all comes together as one thought for the writer you know, a long time ago when the original manuscript of, of Hebrews and all of the Bibles, they don't have chapters, right? They're just all written. They don't even really have spaces between Greek letters, right? It's like, if you've ever read Greek, it just, it looks like, like binary code. It's like really hard to make out. But, um, they're able to, you know, translate this and, and, but, you know, the, they put in the chapters and the verses to make the reading easier and referencing easier for people that would have it. But, you know, this is all just one thought. And so, what we've read in chapters, it, it, most of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is this, this one thought of this author comparing Jesus to angels. 
And he starts off with this argument where he's he basically says that Jesus is greater than the angels. Now we all know that Jesus is greater than angels, right? It's a pretty it's a pretty obvious argument to make. Most people, when they hear that Jesus is greater than angels, you just say, "Duh!" You know, like, yeah, seriously, like, "Duh!" Like, we all know that he's greater than angels. It's like saying, like, LeBron James is better at basketball than most high school students. Of course, right? Of course, of course, Jesus is greater than angels. But the writer of Hebrews makes this argument not to be obvious, right? Not to be Captain Obvious, but to reveal a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And more importantly, who we are in light of who Jesus is. Right? He's trying to reveal to the people that are reading this and hearing this is that, hey, this is Jesus and this is who you are because Jesus is who he says he is. Um, he makes this argument in this way. And the first argument that the writer points out is that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? He makes a bunch of references from the Old Testament about Jesus being the Son of God. It says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. You know, like, I want to point out to the, about the author of Hebrews is that he must have been a very intelligent man because, this, like I mentioned this last week, but this was in a time where you couldn't go buy, like, a Bible, right? You couldn't go by, like, I would like to go by, like, the Torah, and, uh, and you throw in some Skittles, and, you know, you could, there's no bookstore, there's nowhere where you can go and, like, like, you know, find the written, you know, things of the Old Testament. So he probably was a very educated man. Um, he probably had all of this memorized, because the way that he says it is, like, somewhere, I heard somewhere that it's written somewhere, and then he writes word for word exactly what it says in the Old Testament. It's pretty amazing, right? And so he's a very educated man. He's probably a scribe or a scholar of some sort. And, and you know, he lays out this argument that Jesus is the Son of God and he's greater than angels. And we have to understand that angels are very powerful beings. Right now, we are, according to the Bible, a little bit lower than the angels. A, a, a little bit less than the angels in the scheme of things. He references Psalm 8, chapter 4 through, uh, Psalm 8, verses 4 to 5. He, he references it flawlessly, like word for word. And he says like, oh, some, it's written somewhere that, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him, that you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels. You know, angels were present when, when God created the world, right? Um, I don't know if you guys knew that, but it says, where, where were you? Um, this is somewhere in, I believe it's in Isaiah. It says, Where were you when I laid the forth the foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So basically, it's talking about when God created the foundations of the world, the angels were celebrating. The angels were singing. So angels were there even before the foundation of this world, right? They were created before us. And it only took two angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if you guys have read that story, but there are only two angels and they go to Lot and say, you know, you guys got, you guys, guys got to leave, you know, like we're going to tear this place down. And so the angels are pretty amazing. They're pretty powerful. They're powerful beings, but they are not the son of God. And this is the argument that the author is writing. You know, it says, of the angels, he says, 
We, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have love and righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, O God, has anointed you. Uh, and, and Lord, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are in the work of your hand. They will perish, but you remain. Right? So he's talking about Jesus, the Lord. He's the Son of God. And, and, it, and it says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Right? All the angels are great, and all the angels are amazing, and, and they were around even before the foundation of the earth. In no ways do they have the authority and the glory and the honor of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. Now the reason that the writer of Hebrews is writing this in this argument is to also compare the messages that were brought by these two different beings, right? There was a message that was brought by angels and there was a message that was brought by Jesus. Chapter 2, it says, Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. You see, back then it was Jewish tradition to believe that the Torah and the Word of God and the law were delivered to Moses by angels. Right? And this is based on Deuteronomy 33, I believe it's chapter 2. But we can see multiple places in the New Testament where this tradition, this Jewish tradition kind of goes back. In Acts 7, um, the last words of Stephen, right, as he gives this long speech about just the history of the Jews and he's about to be martyred, it says, you, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Right? So there was this understanding in, at the time, in the, in, in the Jewish culture, um, that said that, that they believed that the, the word of God, the Torah, the law, was delivered to Moses by angels. Galatians 3.19, it says, when, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So, once again, even Paul, he's describing like the word of God, the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, um, as being given to um, the people of Israel by angels. And so the writer of Hebrews is pointing this out, that if the law and the Torah were given through angels, how much more do we have to pay attention and hold fast to the message that Jesus brings to us as the Son of God? If what the angels brought were, were, were to, to Israel proved to be reliable, how much important and valuable is the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings? And he says that it was attested by God, right? By God Himself through miracles, right? God brought miracles, signs, wonders. He brought the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, how much more important is this message that was brought by Jesus Christ? Angels brought the Old Testament. Angels brought the law. Angels brought like, like this imperfect version of what is, was supposed to be. The sacrificial system of like killing animals over and over again to try to get themselves clean when they could not get clean, right? I preached on that last week. But then he's saying like, this message that Jesus brings is so much greater than what, what came before. Now, like, like, imagine one of your favorite artists, right? I think, you know, I bring Justin Bieber up because Mina really likes Justin Bieber. She's still like a teenager at heart. 
you know, and has my kids singing Justin Bieber songs in the car. And so imagine like if you're invited to Justin Bieber's concert and a messenger brings you tickets, right, to your, you know, to your home. And it's like somewhere in the middle, in the back, somewhere in the middle back, decent seats. Right, and you get to go to his concert. And imagine being invited to that same concert, but it's Justin Bieber himself that comes to your work and hands you these tickets. It's in the front row. And, it, and he gives you these like placards that's like backstage passes, right? And personally inviting you and giving you these tickets, right? That's a whole other experience. That's a completely different experience than getting tickets you know, at the will call or by messenger. And this is what the, the writer of Hebrew is saying. He's like, hey, angels brought you this, this, this thing that you were supposed to follow, but that was not what it was supposed to be. What, that's all a precursor. It's pointing to this message that Jesus Christ has brought to you. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to sacrificing and, and trying to atone for your sins. Don't go back to striving. Don't go back to trying to, to, you know, like earn your salvation, but hold fast to Jesus who fulfilled the law. Right? Jesus Christ came and in one instant he fulfilled the law. And so this is what this, he's exhorting to these people that are on the verge of saying, hey, I, I think it's going to be easier for my life for me to just go back to the way things were. I, you know, like this Jesus guy, we don't even see him anymore. He like took off, you know, like apparently he floated up into heaven. I, and I haven't been really hurting hearing from him. I, I think I'm going to go back to the, the way they were. I'm going to go back to the law, right? And this writer of humor is saying, don't do that. Because the message that Jesus brought is so much more greater, right? So much more perfect. It's perfect compared to what the angels had brought in the past. The law, right? Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. And then the writer of Hebrews goes into detail and opens up the message that Jesus brought. And in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. I love this. He's like, it's written somewhere. And he perfectly recites right, Psalms. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? He made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And he says, now in putting everything in subjection to his, to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. But it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sacrificed, sacrifice, for who he sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing of your praise. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Here the writer of Hebrews talks about the providence of God's plan and where we fit into this. Who is, my, who is man that God is mindful of him? We are made lower than the angels. In the grand scheme of things, right now, we are lower than the angels. As human beings, right? Right? 
We are made a little lower than the angels. But the writer points back to Jesus is because Jesus was also made a little lower than the angels. Just for a little while. That's what the, the Word of God says. Just for a little while. And the writer talks about what Jesus did through His death and His resurrection. He was crowned with glory and honor. And everything was put under His feet. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. And the writer is saying that Jesus had to do this. He had to be lower than the angels for a little while, right? He had to taste death for everyone so that ultimately he can call us brothers. This is an amazing thing. I don't know if you are catching on to this, but it says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's us. Jesus went through what he did so that he can call us brothers. This is a distinction that the writer of Hebrews is making. Not only Jesus, not only is Jesus greater than angels, and not only is the message that Jesus brings greater and more important than what the angels brought, but what Jesus brings is a message that redeems us as brothers of Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are sons of God. This is what the author is saying. He's like, hey, because Jesus did what he did, because he is who he is, he brings you into the family of God. He brings you into this, this relationship where you're co-heirs with Christ. You are a brother of Jesus. I want to point out something here. It says, for he who sanctifies, which is Jesus, and those who are being, those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I believe he's pointing to that one thing that we are, that one thing that makes us different than any other creation in all of the universe, right? Is that we're made in God's image. There's an argument out there amongst theologians that believe that angels are made in the image of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say angels are made in the image of God. Something, some people think they are. Some people think they're not made in the image of God. I fall into the latter camp. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that angels are made in the image of God. As a matter of fact, the only ones that the Bible expressly says that are made in the image of God, right, is us, man. And the story that God lays out in Scripture from creation to the end times is all about Jesus coming to redeem angels? No. Animals? No. Us, mankind. Because we are made in His image. For surely it is not angels. This is verse 16. For surely it is not angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. I believe that what makes mankind so distinct, what makes you and me so distinct and different and all of creation is that we are the only ones that are made in the image of God. And as the only ones made in the image of God, we can be called sons of God. How? Because the first son became like us and redeemed us to be sons of God. Romans 8, 15, it says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This spirit 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs or co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The reason that the writer makes this distinction between angels and Jesus is to prove that Jesus is better than angels. Yeah, duh, everybody knows that. But it's to point out that Jesus came to save man because we are made in God's image to make us understand our true identity. That in Christ Jesus, we are brothers with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are children of God. We are sons of God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The salvation that he brings, brings us into into the family of God. It's not to make us like angels. It's to make us like Jesus. He's the Son of God, and through Him, we become children of God. In Christ Jesus, we are, we are greater than angels. We have more authority than angels. We can look to God and call Him Father, because in Christ Jesus, we have become His children. And that is the love that He has for us. He has the Father's love. I don't know if you guys are able to grasp this in your mind, but this is this is this is the the the, the like the the central aspect of all what God is doing is to make is isn't to make us like 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 you know better people. It's not to to make us like you know, nicer and kinder people. Ultimately, the identity that He wants to put inside each and every one of us is to say that you are my child, you are my son. These days I've been really grumpy. It's the weather. I get really hot and sweaty and I get really grumpy. And my kids, I was like, yesterday they were home and they're just annoying me so much. And I was like yelling and I was like, ah! And then Mina came home and said, oh, Ethan was saying that you're like really grumpy and you're not fun to be around, right? But even despite this flawed, human, sinful father, right? I still love my kids, right? I like, like, I look at my kids and I, sometimes I'm blown away. Like, I'm like, oh, I love him so much. And God allows us to experience this kind of love so that we can know just a tiny fraction of the kind of love that God has for us. God gives us His mandate. He says, be fruitful and multiply, right? Go out. And it's like, yeah, He wants us to make, take dominion over, over the earth and He wants us to rule and reign with Christ. But ultimately, He, He wants us to multiply because I believe there's a, the reason why Jesus wants us to have kids is so that we can have a tiny fraction of the kind of love that God has for us. That we can just even know just a little bit. Me loving my kids is just like a fraction. Right? right? Me loving the Father's love that I have for my kids did not come first. What came first was the Father's love for us. You know, we get married and we get to experience just a fraction of the kind of love that Christ has for His bride. The church. And, and, and when we have kids, we get to experience just a fraction of the kind of love that the Father has for, for His Son and for the children of God. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to say that to these Jews that are being persecuted, that are, that are on the brink of just falling away from Jesus, he says, hold fast to Christ and in Him you have been brought into the family of God. And this is this is the true experience. 
This is this is like Justin Bieber coming to your work and giving you Justin Bieber tickets, front row, backstage passes. The law was just brought by messengers and was just a precursor to what is to come. This is the real deal. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the full manifestation of the Father's love for His children. He says, you are co-heirs with Christ. He is the first of many brothers. Romans 8.29 For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become to be, be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And we and saying that we are in the family of God. Jesus Christ, what He did, brings us into His lineage. We have His inheritance. This should be blowing our minds. We have the same inheritance that Jesus Christ has. Because we're in the family of God. Remember that song from Malcolm? We are the family of God. You guys know that song? Yes, we are the family. We are the family of God. We have been brought in to His lineage. We have been brought into His family. Now I'll close with this. Do you know why the devil hates us? Do you know why the devil hates you? Why he's always out to try to bring you down and always, you know, bring, you know, what is it? The, the devil comes to bring, you know, to kill, steal, and destroy. <laughs> Blank from my mind for a second. You know why he's out to get us? The Bible says that Lucifer is Satan. He was the greatest angel. He's the most beautiful angel. He said that he was the most, the, like Lucifer was the most beautiful angel that ever was, right? And he was given the name Day Star or Morning Star. But what happened was pride started to grow in his heart and Lucifer got so caught up in his own beauty and glory that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. And so God kicked him out of heaven and he was cast down to earth. And Revelations tells us that a third of the angels he took with him. These are the demons. The Bible talks about another morning star, the morning star. Jesus himself tells us in Revelations 22:16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And Jesus defeated Satan. He crushed the head of Satan. He is already defeated. Satan is already defeated, right? And Jesus is victorious. And we have been redeemed to be sons of God, children of God, brothers with the bright morning star. And in Christ, we share in God's glory. Now, if we are children, the verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in His glory. Romans 8, right? We share in the God's glory. This is what Lucifer wanted. This is what Satan wanted. So he hates us. And he wants to take every last one of us down. But Jesus is who he says he is. And he did what he says, the Bible says he, he has done. The authority that he has over all creation in Christ Jesus, and the victory that Jesus has over death and Satan, we share in that. The worst fear that Satan can throw at us is death, right? But Christ has conquered death for us. And that is the exhortation 
that this writer of Hebrews is saying to the Jews that are being persecuted, that are on the verge of falling away. He's like, hold on to Jesus. Because he, because in him we share in his inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are members of the family of God. We will rule and reign with him. And this needs to be the bedrock of our identity, you guys. No matter who you are or what you do for a living or what kind of family that you're from, you have to understand that in Christ Jesus we are sons of God. This has to be your identity. That you are children of God. One of the most important things that I can teach to my kids isn't so that, you know, like, family is important. Yeah, family is important, but I don't, we have to teach them that He is to be, to learn to be in the family of God, to experience what it is to be in the family of God. And then Philippians 1, 27, it says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourself in the, in, he is your king. He is your priest. Live your life in a way that is worthy of the gospel that he brings. Who's, anybody have ever watched The Crown? Anyone watch The Crown? Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't keep up. It got too boring after a while. But you know, the royal family, I, when I was watching The Crown, there's all these rules and things, manners that they have to follow the by, right? It's like, if you're in the royal family, you have a certain way, you're taught a certain way to conduct yourselves that is befitting a royal family. Right? Well, the Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. We share in the inheritance of Christ. And as God's royalty, we must live our lives in a manner that is befitting God's royalty, befitting God's family. And our example is Jesus. He is our king. He is our high priest. He is our brother. And we are continually being made in His image. And we, this has to be that foundational layer of our identity, right? You know, like our identity, we learn, we, as we grow up, we learn like, oh, we learn identity, like, oh, I'm a boy, and I'm a man. We learn like, oh, I'm Korean, you know, like, you know, I, I'm Asian. Growing up in America, you, you knew that right away. You're different. Like, yeah, I'm Asian. And, and all these identities that the world tries to place on me, right? Like, you're this, you're that. My parents would say, oh, like, you know, you're, you know, you, you're like this, you're like that, and you know, my friends would say, Lily, and we, we, our identity, we develop our identity through the years, right? We all have our identity that was shaped and formed by the people that we've interacted with, right? Our friends, our family members, school, teachers, all this stuff. But when Jesus Christ comes into the picture, He breaks all that up and then He lays down the foundation to our identity. It's the bedrock. You know, like when you start digging, uh, you, you're gonna hit, hit concrete, and then you're gonna hit the dirt, and you keep going, and you're gonna hit bedrock. Bedrock is that layer right underneath the, the crust of the earth where it's just hard. You can't go past it. It's bedrock. That has to be the foundation of our identity, and that bedrock for our identity has to be that we are sons of God. We are sons of God first, and this has to be is because if I'm supposed to be the type of man that I want to be, that God wants me to be, I have to start with. I'm a son of God first. God calls me to be a certain type of parent. If I want to be the type of parent that, that God tells me that I should be, my first identity has to be I'm a son of God. Do you guys understand that? If God's calling you into, into like, 
the business world. I, I, right now, I'm, I'm majoring in like business management. I finished in a couple of months, right? If I'm supposed to, like, if I want to become a CEO of a company, right? And say I do. And say I actually work really hard and I become the CEO of like Samsung, which is ridiculous, you know? But imagine I do, right? But if, I, if I'm, God calls me to be the CEO of Samsung, right? I can be the CEO of Samsung, but my identity has to be that I am a child of God first. Because if I'm going to fulfill God's calling in my life as the CEO of Samsung that God has called me to, I must have that identity of being a son of God or I'm just going to fall away. I'm going to, I'm going to fall apart. I'm going to let the things of this world break into my heart and my mind and I'm going to start to live like that of the world. It's only when our our foundational understanding is that we are children of God. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. You are you are God's son. You are brother of Christ. You are co-heirs with Christ. We are all called into different areas of, in our lives. Some of us are called to be parents. Some of us are called to be you know, teachers. Some of us are called to be pastors. Some of us are called to be doctors and lawyers. No matter what the world might define us by, if that foundational layer of our identity is not of Jesus Christ being our Savior and Lord and and we being the children of God through His blood and through His sacrifice, no matter what we strive to be in our lives, we will never be able to reach the, the fullness of God's blessing for us if we don't have that identity of God being our, our Father, that we are children of God, that we are sons of God. And this is important. And this is what the author of Hebrew is trying to convince to these, these Jewish Christians that are on the verge of just saying, ah, forget it, right? He's saying, hey, hold on, hold fast. Because you have been brought into a life that is amazing. You have been brought into a life that is full and is, is abundant in Christ Jesus. And it says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. Now I want to ask you guys today, is that your identity? Are, is your identity that of a son of God? And is that the identity that you're standing on as you attempt to do the things in, in this world and in your life that God has called you to? Are you standing on that foundational bedrock of Jesus Christ and you being the son of God? I want to encourage you today that that, is, that will make all of the difference in your life. 